Please bow your heads with me. Father God, be glorified. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The prince had run away from home when he was only a boy. A traumatic life experience had scared him, and he was followed with guilt and shame that he was the cause. What would people think? He couldn't handle it, so he ran away. He grew up in a foreign land, in exile. He made new friends. He put away his past and the person he was, and lived a carefree and laid-back life occasionally scavenging for grub with his friends. And then she showed up, a childhood friend, now all grown up. He was enamored with the woman that she had become. She spoke of darkness and desolation in their homeland. A false king had taken control, and she left desperately searching for help. The prince thinks he may be in love, but he can't go back. She wouldn't understand. What would she think if she knew he was responsible for the death of his father, the king? It is at this point in the movie, The Lion King, (laughs) that a very powerful scene starts. Simba the main character, is lamenting his life when the baboon Rafiki appears. Rafiki comes off a bit crazy and a tad silly, but it's just a ruse to cover his wisdom. Who are you? asks Simba. The question is, who are you? Rafiki replies. I thought I knew, but I'm not so sure, says Simba. Rafiki exclaims that Simba is a baboon, and he is not. I think you're a little confused, says Simba. Wrong! I'm not one confused. You don't even know who you are, Rafiki replies. And I suppose you do, says Simba. You are Mufasa's boy, replies Rafiki. Rafiki runs away, and Simba gives chase, and is led to a pond. Rafiki tells Simba to look into the reflection. That's not my father. It's just a reflection, Simba says. No, look harder. You see, he lives in you, replies Rafiki. And then the spirit of Mufasa, Simba's father, appears to Simba in the clouds. With a deep, echoing voice of James Earl Jones, Mufasa says, Simba, you have forgotten me. You have forgotten who you are, and so you have forgotten me. Look inside yourself, Simba. You are more than you have become. Remember who you are. You are my son and the one true king. Remember who you are. 
remember. At this, Mufasa disappears, and Rafiki finds Simba. Looks like the, the winds are changing, says Simba. Ah, change is good, replies Rafiki. Yeah, but it's not easy. I know what I have to do, but going back means I'll have to face my past. I've been running from it for so long. Rafiki tells Simba that although the past can hurt, you can either run from it or learn from it. Simba immediately leaves for his homeland to confront his evil uncle and save his people from the desolation and death that plagues it. Now you might be wondering, why is Chris retelling the story of the Lion King? Well, because it parallels the Bible passage that we are looking at today. Regularly, the Bible authors in the New Testament endeavor to remind their readers who they are in Christ and move them to action. And you and I, if you are a follower of Jesus, like Simba, need to be reminded of who we are in Christ, that we might live as his followers in this world. Today, we will be in 1 Peter. Feel free to turn in your Bible stand. And if you need a Bible, you can find one on the human factor. Now, there are two lines that stick out to me from this scene in the Lion King. They are, remember who you are, and you are more than you have become. I'll say them again. Remember who you are, and you are more than you have become. Regularly, in my relationship with the Lord, these are the words that I need to hear. Remember who you are. In other words, you are a child of the King, like Simba. You have been adopted into his family, so quit living as a runaway and accept your royal heritage. And you are more than you have become. In other words, God is not done with you yet. Do not define yourself by your brokenness. And the person you used to be, define yourself as a new creation in Christ. Now on to 1 Peter. 1 Peter has long been recognized as one of the high points of New Testament literature and theology. Martin Luther recognized 1 Peter, along with the, the Gospel of John and the letters of Paul, quote, as the true kernel and marrow of all New Testament books. For in them you find, depicted in masterly fashion, how faith in Christ overcomes sin, death, and hell, and gives life, righteousness, and salvation. So let's read together. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. I'll be reading in the NIV. Feel free to follow along in your own Bibles there. It goes, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, 
through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, and who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice, though, for now, for a little while, you you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of suffering and trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end results of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter's telling his readers to remember who they are. Because of persecution, they have been scattered across Rome. They are foreigners, they are aliens, they are strangers, and they are experiencing suffering for what they believe. In spite of all this, Peter reminds them that they are God's chosen. Verse 2. That they have been given a new birth into a living hope. Verse 3. And broken down, this means that they are children of God. They have been adopted into His family. God chose them. And in verse 4, it says that they have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And this inheritance can't be touched by death or corrupted by sin. And it won't erode with time. This inheritance is the salvation of their souls. Verse 9. You see, God did save them. They repented and believed the news, and the kingdom of God broke into their lives. They had been saved. By Bible scholars, this is called justification. They have been justified before God. Through Jesus' blood, they are in right standing before God. God sees them just as if they had sinned. They are being saved. This is called sanctification. They are being made holy. That is, more like Jesus, each and every day, by the power of the Holy Spirit, transforming them into Christ's likeness, one piece at a time. And finally, they will be saved And this is called glorification. This is the inheritance that they are looking forward to. An inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. One day, 
God will complete his work in them. As C.S. Lewis writes it, they will be fit to breathe the air of heaven. And at the end of days, they will be taken up into heaven. There will be no more pain, no more suffering. God will wipe away every tear, and they will fully know and be known in intimate relationship with their Creator forever and ever in inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And the same is true for you and I. Remember who you are. In Philippians 3.20, Paul writes that we are citizens of heaven. We are sojourners. We are just passing through. This is not our home. Many years ago, I was able to take a mission trip to Budapest, the capital, Hungary. We were preparing an English camp for Hungarian high school students to share the good news of Jesus with them. Now, Budapest is a beautiful city, but it is the most exotic to anything I've ever experienced before. And as an Eastern European country, you can see the fingerprints of the Soviet Union in its architecture. In our free time, we would tour the city, but at the end of the day, I would retreat back to my hotel room, my own personal United States of America. You see, early in this trip, I was enamored by how different everything was. But after a couple of days, I was overwhelmed. I was quickly reminded that this was not my home, and I was just passing through. And as children of God, we need to be in the world, but not of it. Because our citizenship is in heaven, our inheritance that will never spoil or fade. So remember who you are. You are a child of God, and a citizen of heaven, who is just passing through. Let's bring it back to the passage now. One thing we know about Peter's audience is that they were undergoing fierce persecution for their faith. Peter wrote to encourage them by reminding them of who they are in Christ. Remember who you are. He also directed them to see their situation from the perspective of heaven. Let's read again 1 Peter, starting in verse 9. Going to, starting verse 5 and going to verse 9. Addressing his readers, he writes in verse 5, You, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time, in all this you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Verse 9. 
For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The first important takeaway from this passage is that you and I will experience suffering. I'll say it again. You and I will experience suffering. Our entire American society and culture is built up to reduce suffering in our lives. Industry after industry endeavors to make things easier or distract us with pleasure. We are enculturated to think that no suffering is the default state of existence. And when it shows its head, we are deeply bothered. Death is alien to us. In our practice, the deceased are quickly whisked away. But go to any third world country, and death is a normal part of life. And they know how to fully grieve. Now don't get me wrong, I'm grateful for progress and the reduction of suffering in our lives. But let's not forget that suffering, suffering, is an integral part of reality and the human experience. In John 16.33, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Have you ever suffered for being a follower of Jesus? Maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. Either way, in America, it seems our suffering is more social than anything else. In the guise of political correctness, our society has become antagonistic to anybody who stands up for Jesus. Hollywood blacklists anybody who is overtly Christian, and the media never allows Jesus' name to be said. There are some countries today where persecution is much fiercer. But however persecution shows itself, we should not be surprised. In John 15.8, Jesus says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And Matthew 5, 11-12, Jesus says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way that they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Bible tells us that persecution is an expected part of being a follower of Jesus. So don't be afraid of suffering for Jesus, because Jesus suffers with you. You are not alone, and he will give you the strength to endure when you rely on him. In our passage, there is one word that seems very odd in the context of all the rest. And this is the word joy. First Peter 1 Peter 1.6 In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a 
He may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Somehow, these followers of Jesus were able to experience joy in their suffering. You see, suffering and joy can be experienced simultaneously. Their anger, their hope, was not in this life, but in the one to come. So no matter what happens, they know that this is not how the story ends. In verse 9, they're looking forward and holding on to heaven, God's completed work in their lives, the salvation of their souls. In the words of the Lion King, you are more than you have become. God is not done with you yet. And God promises in Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You see, God doesn't waste suffering. He redeems it. He makes it result in something beautiful. Now, in Japan, there is a style of pottery called kitsuki, and it is translated golden joiner. It is the art of fixing broken pottery. Rather than rejoin ceramic pieces with a camouflage adhesive, the kintsugi technique employs a special tree sap lacquer dusted with powdered gold. Once completed, all the cracks are filled with gold, and the piece is more beautiful than ever before. Our God is a God of restoration. The ultimate Kintsugi artist. And during his ministry, Jesus gravitated toward the broken and healed them physically and spiritually. And it is through our suffering and brokenness that God heals us and his glory shines. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 through 18. This light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we not as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. In conclusion, remember who you are. You are a child of God and a citizen of heaven who is just passing through. You will experience suffering. And you are more than you have become. You are more than you have become. God is not done with you yet. So how will you apply this to your life? Will you live your life as if your citizenship is in heaven and you are just passing through? Or maybe you will not be afraid of suffering or standing up for Christ. Or maybe you will trust that God is not done with you and that he is turning the brokenness in your life into something beautiful. Let's pray. Father God, we glorify. We 
thank you for this day. And I pray, Lord, that each of us will be reminded of who we are in you, O oh God, that we are children of the King, adopted to his family. And I pray, Lord, that you would pursue each of us, that you would transform us, and that you would take these broken pieces, and that you would turn them into something beautiful in each of our lives. And I pray, Lord, this day, that you would get all the praise 